It's the Book and Film Globe podcast, and I am your host, Neil Pollock, the greatest living American writer and the editor-in-chief of Book and Film Globe. When I was born, my mother died. www.bookandfilmglobe.com. We cover the worlds of books and film and streaming TV and other entertainment matters. We have a fine show for you this week. Paula Schaefer will be here to talk to me about the new season of What We Do in the Shadows, the horror vampire sitcom now airing on FX and Hulu. And Stephen Garrett will be here to talk about the new Ryan Gosling, Chris Evans, Netflix thriller, The Gray Man, which is receiving lots of critical mockery, but Stephen liked it more than the average critic. So he'll be here soon and Paula will be here soon. But first, you're going to have to listen to me rant about the movies. That's why God made the movie. The best news of the summer arrived a couple of weeks ago. That weekend's box office numbers were 30% higher than the comparable weekend in 2019, which was the last time we had a normal schedule at the movies. Though the year as a whole is down about 30% from 2019, that's because the movie industry was still staggering back to life in the first half of the year without a full release slate. But this summer has featured a diverse array of crowd-pleasing blockbusters that have zapped electricity back into the coma-ridden movie theater industry. Though the slate lacks the kind of middle-brow dramas and comedies that once populated theater schedules, the grouping of movies is diverse enough. A hugely popular sequel to a 1980s action movie, two Marvel flicks, an installment in a popular animated kids series, a bizarre artistic musical biopic, and a tacky dinosaur melodrama. RRR, a wild Telugu musical action film, has also racked up the dollars and the views. Even Jenny Slate's Marcel the Shell with Shoes On is finding a theatrical audience. The industry has offered something for the olds, something for the noobs, something for the macho, something for the twee, and a variety of fare that, in a world racked by culture war, mostly cuts down the middle. So, hooray for us, and hooray for the movies. It doesn't look like the run is going to continue, though, other than a Jordan Peele thriller, which will have a dedicated audience, but doesn't look like it's going to be a huge smash. Hollywood doesn't have anything major scheduled until October, but then after that, there are two DC movies, another Marvel movie, an Avatar movie, and a bunch of other stuff. The industry has rebooted its calendar. But let's not forget why we're talking about box office numbers as if they matter. It's because, for two years, politicians and the media filled people with endless fear about gathering in public. In particular, they singled out movie theaters as devilish pits of disease super-spreading. At best, they scolded anyone who dared suggest otherwise. At worst, they called us heartless murderers. In fact, it was always safe to go to the movies, and I'll always be grateful to the Texas theaters that stayed open during the cruelest months of the pandemic, allowing those of us brave enough to risk death some semblance of escape and normalcy in the face of public pressure and state imposition of values that I never thought I'd see in my lifetime. I will admit that I panicked at points, it really seemed that the movies would never come back in full. Man, I'm glad they did. The COVID pandemic may not be entirely over, but it's over as a political force in the vast majority of the United States and in the world. People are either vaccinated or they've had COVID, and some have had it multiple times, and are also vaccinated. We're still here, and we still like going to the movies. Let's not allow the powers that be to take that simple pleasure away from us again. That's why God made the movie. 
One of my favorite TV shows is Back in Season. It's what I consider to be the funniest show on TV right now. It's What We Do in the Shadows, the vampire comedy that airs on FX and also Hulu. Very glad to see it back on the schedule. And Paula Schaefer, for frequent uh, book and film Globe contributor, and also a What We Do in the Shadows fan, is here to talk to me about it. Hello. Hey, yeah, it's not hard to find words to talk about such a funny show, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really like, at this point, you have to kind of consider it like a TV comedy classic. And, you know, as I write in, in this week's, uh, in this on this week's site, you know, it's really like the essence of what makes, I mean, there's a lot of funny vampire and horror comedy, but the essence of what makes what we do in the shadows so good is that it's a hangout comedy with wacky characters. Yeah, it's like it's like the undead Seinfeld. Like it's just people who don't care about the world around them hanging out and talking to each other about stuff and making and making chaos. And you know, of course, killing hundreds and hundreds of people along the way and, and not caring at all because they're vampires. They don't care about about humans. Yep, exactly. We're disposable meat. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah, pretty much. There's, although there are sometimes the human character does um, become beloved to the vampires. Well, for instance, of course, there's there's Guillermo, the familiar of, uh, I guess, the main vampire in Andor. But the thing about Guillermo is they have to be careful about him because even though he's kind of a, a, a chubby, insecure uh, gay man, he is also uh, it also has Van Helsing blood in him and is, in fact, the world's most skilled vampire killer. Yeah, that's a good twist. That That's why this show works, because they take the things that... They, the audience thinks they know and they twist it just a little bit and they just keep twisting it and they, they've skillfully continued to do that. Yeah, and you know, last year, uh, last season, the plot got very convoluted. There was a whole International Vampire Council thing and the thing, you know, the, the season ended with half the cast like going off to parts unknown to seek their destinies. And yet when we resume the action in this season, everyone just kind of comes back. <laughs> and Thankfully. And- yeah. Yes, but all of that, all of all of that, um, those shenanigans—they just—they just discarded them. They decided, no, you know what? We don't like this. So instead, they're just opening a vampire disco. Yeah, which I can't wait to see. Yeah, I think and, and the first two episodes of it. I think the disco opens next week or the week after, and you know who knows where it's going to go from here. The show has this way of um, taking uh, twists and turns and surprising you, but uh, I don't know. I mean. Just sort of a basic like vampire disco comedy would would be fine with me. Yeah, I think that having the show already renewed for season five and season six has given the writers the freedom to say, okay, well, here are things we want to build out and now we can plan. And so I think it will just make the show richer and better and, you know, a a deeper, goofy comedy. Yeah, and you know, I wonder. I wonder, like, you know, you and I have both watched a lot of sitcoms over the years. Season four, ten, seasons three and four tend to be when it, when a comedy really comes into its own, right? Like season one, yeah. they're still feeling around the characters. They're starting to gain confidence in season two. You know, now what we do in the shadows is like just has its own momentum and a, and a, and a full array of lore and a great cast of supporting characters. And uh, I don't know, I, I didn't. I didn't think the first two episodes of the season were the funniest episodes ever, but there wasn't really a false note in them because we know the characters so well that like, it's almost like anything Nandor says is automatically going to be hilarious. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, I w- I've been really skeptical of Kristen Shaw being added into the mix more, but you know, I, I, I think it's growing on me. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, Kristen Shaw is kind of like the Ted McGinley of modern sitcoms, right? Like when she they added her to uh, Thirty Rock, it said Thirty, and they really focused on her heavily. It sent 30 Rock right down the tubes. Yeah. Although maybe 30 Rock was already heading down the tubes. It's hard to say. But it hasn't exactly happened yet in this show. Like she plays like a, I guess she's the, the, the keeper of the of the vampire archives or she's got some, some kind of authority. But yeah, she ha- agreed that it, ha- it hasn't yet, um, hasn't yet ruined the show. There's time. Yeah. There's time. You know, maybe- <laughs> They do that. They're like, oh, they're, you know, the, the show managed, managed to survive, like, a heavy Nick Kroll assault, assault, for instance, and it didn't kill it. Nick Kroll was really good on What We Do in the Shadows. I'm going to say it. I, I like Nick Kroll, though. Yeah, but, but I'm just saying, like, I'm, <laughs> like, but there are, like, comedic character actors who, you know, you introduce them in the mix, and you're like, oh, this could, this could be trouble. Because, you know, in comedy, as you well know, there's a lot of ego flying around, right? So, you know, you, you get, you give someone an inch and they're going to, they're going to take it as far as they can. But I, I don't really get that sense with the main cast. Like, you know, you've got, um, the, the Nandor is played by Kyan Novak, who is, uh, Eastern European actor, I believe. And, uh, you know, he, he had, you know, he had no uh, profile in the States before then. And then like, um, you know, we have Matt Berry who is beloved to people who love cult British sitcoms. But again, this wasn't someone who was like well known to American audiences. And Mark Proche is like a guy from the Tim and Eric stable of alternative comics, you know. So and and Natasha Dimitriou, who plays uh, who plays the female lead, you know, she again like this, these were all people who were known if you like went to indie stand up nights in L.A. or whatever. But these weren't people who had like a huge profile. Yeah, which gave them room to come in and build something. Yeah, it wasn't like, oh, here's Ted Danson again. <laughs> <laughs> or Kristen Shaw. Yeah, yeah, and, then, and then it's like, okay, and now here's here's Hazel from 30 yeah. Rock. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Louise yeah. from Bob's Burgers. But yeah, yes, she is the voice of Louise and Bob's Burgers, but but you know, she's a voice there. <laughs> it's a, I know, but there's there's still that personality that she all she always kind of does the same. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Well, you know, she's yeah, comedy, comedy sort of foists its people upon us. We don't always necessarily get to choose uh, who entertains us. But I don't know, man. Uh, what we do in the shadows is just if you love sitcoms and you and you like, you know, you, I, you know, I don't like horror, but I love comedy horror, mm-hmm. you know, yep. and what we do in the shadows just does it all too well. It's not just vampires like there's werewolves, there's witches, there's a genie in this season. Yep. Yeah, who's, that's new to the mix. Who's, who's very funny. Oh, and of course, there was a last year's insane harpy plot line. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're they're not afraid to throw in all of the creatures, and I like that. I, I like supernatural creatures a lot, and throw that in with comedy, I'm there for it. Yeah, so that's, what else is there to say? What we do in the shadows is airing now on FX and Hulu, and... If you haven't watched it yet, you and you have a streaming, the Hulu streaming service, you've got a deep archive of fun awaiting you. And if you have, then you've got something to look forward to for the rest of the summer. Yep, absolutely. All right, Paula, thanks for stopping. For sure, thanks.
Stephen Garrett is here to talk about a movie that I have not seen yet. Usually I see the movies that I talk to Stephen about. But this movie is The Gray Man, and it is a Netflix product, and it has not appeared on Netflix yet. It will not appear on Netflix until July 22nd, and as we are recording this, it is July 15th. But Stephen lives in New York City, and he has seen The Gray Man because Netflix apparently has a movie theater in New York City. Is that right? They do. I think, uh, you know, New York and L.A. for sure, uh, they bought real estate. They actually have brick and mortar venues. Um, and I'd be curious if there are other places outside of those cities where it's been playing nationally. But um, so, so yeah. before, well, before we talk about the Gray Man, so what do they do? Do they show their movies in repertory? Like, do they show the Gray Man every day? Is there enough of an yeah. audience for that? Or are they showing, yeah. are they showing RRR? You know, you know what? Do? Yeah, well, you know what? Let me go right now to their website here in town. It's um, they did this. I want to say two years ago. Okay. Um, and I think I think they bought it in twenty twenty, and then they opened in kind of like maybe end of twenty twenty, and then beginning of twenty twenty one. Well, no, a lot of theaters were closed, so I guess it was early twenty twenty one is when right. uh, I first started going, and it's really smart. They they have a guy named David Schwartz who programmed, um, he was the, the kind of, um, he ran or helped run the Museum of Moving Image out in Queens for about 30 years. And he, he was a great programmer. He knows his stuff. Um, and he interviews directors on stage. It was a really smart move for um, Netflix to get this uh, guy who is now programming the Paris. And the Paris Theater is a theater that goes back to the late 40s. It's called the Paris Theater because I think it was owned by um, like Gaumont or something and only played French films. And it was Gaumont's like flagship operation in New York. And they played, um, their product, um, in the city for as long as they owned it. And then it kind of broadened into just being a general art house movie theater, single screen. Uh, it's right across from the, from the, um, from the Plaza hotel. So it's very like, you know, Fancy, skews older, blue-haired ladies, you know, lots of uh, jewelry and fur coats. And then it, it kind of went into decline. Sorry, went into decline. Netflix bought it for, you know, a, a nice pretty penny. So I have it up here, and they are showing um, they are showing The Gray Man as their only first-run movie. But then they're, the, the Russo brothers directed this film, and they're showing movies that were the inspirations for the Russo brothers. Inspiration. Story. And that's what they've been doing for the past year or two. They basically talk to the filmmakers, what are the movies that inspired you? Like Noah Baumbach will program movies, you know, and coinciding with his movie or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And it's, it's really, uh, it's really great. Um, you know, if you're a cineast and you want to see this. And I, I, I talked with David uh, Schwartz about this right when they were opening up. So I guess summer of, of 2021. And I said, uh, how do you get people, like they, if people have Netflix, they can just watch all these movies at home. How do you bring them out to the movie theater? And he said, actually, our audience doesn't really overlap that much. There are a lot of people in New York who don't have Netflix and don't want Netflix, but they want to see Netflix movies, so they just come here. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, there's there's just seeing a movie in a theater is is fun, you know, when it comes down to it. Um, but they, sure. have, like, they have, so, yeah, so it's the Russo brothers, their inspirations, you know, shoot the piano, Francois Truffaut's Shoot the Piano Player, which is, of course, a terrific uh, movie, uh, Bullet, starring Steve McQueen, which has a good scene in it. It's not a, actually a great movie. <laughs> Live and Die in L.A., The Seventh Seal, The Wild Bunch, um, 
John Woo's Hard Boiled. You know, so there's there's some Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia. So you know, it's those kinds of movies are playing there right now, and I I, I like that. I like the uh, that sort of repertory art house vibe along with an original um, uh, show as well. So the original show we're talking about is The Gray Man, which is being advertised as the most expensive Netflix movie ever made. <laughs> exactly. I, I, I since the Irishman, since the Irishman, which I think probably came close to $200 million. I don't know. It depends what reports you believe. Yeah. So uh, was this money well spent is my question. Uh... I was satisfied. I went in wanting to see a big, splashy, dumb action movie, and that's what I got. And the money's up on the screen. You see a lot of explosions, a lot of like exotic locations, which you know, you know, these studios get very international minded. Um, so they have tons of, you know, the, literally the first ten or fifteen minutes, you see you're in Bangkok, and then you're in Azerbaijan, and then you're in Thailand, and then you're in Turkey, and then you're in London, and then you're in Hong Kong, and Vienna, and Berlin, and Croatia, and Prague. I mean, it, it just like rains all these. It's like ADD locations it's like, the, uh, it's like the toughest season of the amazing race ever <laughs> exactly yeah well it's just hyped up uh you know uh they're hyped they're beefing up their four quadrants i guess so they can play internationally everybody can be like oh that's in my backyard or that's exotic or that's familiar you know it's very european centric that's well sure. your azerbaijan is the mo is the unconquered territory <laughs> <laughs> hey man if you clinch that forget yeah. it game over big, big in back so, um, <laughs> Baku. yeah. So, all right. So, the Gray Man concerns uh, Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans are your um, your stars in it, and it's like a spy thriller. Again, I haven't seen this. I'm I'm coming at this from a place of extreme ignorance. Right, 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 right. Great. Well, it's based on a book called The Gray Man. Did you ever cross paths with that book? No, I think it came out maybe ten not. or fifteen years ago. I, know, I think I'm it was very, like two thousand. I'm, I'm very busy. So yes. Yeah, so, yeah. so, <laughs> it's just. It's a secret agent movie. It's a spy movie. And things go sideways when our hero is betrayed and then he has to solve what's going on. And, you know, there's literally a line about how somebody is pulling the strings. You know, the old man, they keep referring to this dark shadowy figure who's really pulling the strings. And I love this, too, is that, like, literally, <laughs> you know how every so often a movie will have a nefarious character and he went to Harvard? And that's to show that he's not only smart, but, like, deeply amoral. Is that, is that the case here? It, it, they're literally the three heavies, the three bad guys. Uh, not only all went to Harvard, but they were all classmates at Harvard together. And they all are like completely amoral and very smart. And they're pulling the strings. Uh, although somebody... That's where all evil plots are, are hatched. Although from my experience, mostly like Harvard people seem to be, you know, thinking about ways they can, um, you know, get ahead in uh, the comedy animation business. <laughs> Well, this is like, you know, like uh, Chris Evans is the heavy, which clearly is a pivot for him because, you know, what do you do after you play Captain America? You play an evil Harvard, you know, genius, amoral, you know, like he's not even a spy. He's a black ops guy. He's gone into private, you know, uh, service, I guess. And so he's hired. He's just a mercenary who's super jacked up, very smart and very driven and very sadistic and uh, sociopathic. Not even amoral. He's like very deeply immoral. Um, so he's like doubled down on the baddie stuff. And he even, he has this ridiculous mustache and he's wearing kind of Euro trash clothes. Like he's always wearing like uh, tight trousers, no socks and uh, loafers. And even Ryan Gosling talks about his trash stash, you know, the white pants and the trash stash that he has. 
I mean, this doesn't sound very good, but <laughs> it's very fun. It's very fun. I mean, look, it's it's a it's a spy movie with a lot of splashy locations. A lot of money is being spent on bullets and uh, shattered glass and explosions. It's directed by the Russo brothers who, you know, really made their name for themselves as being kind of the in-house um, Marvel guys. They are the ones who took over the Avengers franchise. Um, right, and they, the were, they directed who, a couple of Captain America movies. Yeah. Well, they, they hit that, you know, fatty, salt, sweet, you know, kind of recipe for like action and comedy and pathos and humor and levity and emotion. And this has that. So it's kind of interesting from that point of view is like, what do you do if you don't want to do any more Marvel movies? Um, what's your pivot? And you're still a talented action director. What are your options? This is the first in a series of books. So, you know, and I think Netflix, there have been articles about how Netflix is really trying to um, figure out its next phase, I guess. You know, now that they've had issues with their stock price and subscriptions have been canceled a bit now that we're coming out of the pandemic shock. And what is their next pivot? And they said fewer, but more expensive movies. But I think also they want to start franchises and they're looking at places like Paramount that already have something like Top Gun that they can, you know, they've got IP that they can plunder. And I think they're in it for the long haul of like, let's do very expensive, flashy movies that are fun popcorn pictures. This is a popcorn picture played very well, by the way, with an audience. And I think that's another thing Netflix is going to take to heart. You know, I mean, everybody was into it in the movie theater they laughed you know they uh, gasped well i would see it i mean i, I like the genre i will de i would definitely see it and i would myself i live you know i live in austin texas and i think that a netflix uh single screen repertory house would probably do pretty well here and i i i, I would i would buy a membership immediately and you know i'd go once a week or so and and, and stop in so i i like i like this direction uh, and i love the direction of like movie of just making movies and showing them in public. And one of the things I, I talk about in this week's show and in general is that I, I am as surprised as anyone that it doesn't, doesn't seem like the movies are, are dead. You know, this has been a really, really good summer for movies. Yeah, far from it, far from it. I mean, I think um, this is the type of action movie that plays well in, in a theater. If it would promote it the way that, let's say, Top Gun Maverick was promoted or Spider-Man was promoted or Doctor Strange was promoted, uh, there'd be butts and seats. This would be a big multiplex release. And I think Netflix is looking at the $600, you know, $600 million gross of Maverick and thinking, oh, we might be leaving some money on the table. Maybe we should do this more and more. I'd be curious to see if they really long term are thinking that way. They're certainly pivoting towards ad supported, you know, streaming services. So why not play more in theaters? It's great advertising. It raises the profile of your of your movies and would bump, you know, give a nice bump to the subscriptions if they knew what was on it. Well, I would rather, I would rather go see a movie than watch ads on Netflix. That's one of the things I like about Netflix is that you don't have to watch ads, you know, and I'm not, I'm not looking forward to the day when I have to watch the same Ford commercial three times in a row, like I do on one of the other streaming services. So, well, anyway, you know, like, and I, I, you know what, I'd be, uh, I, I realize I haven't actually told you what the Gray Men is about, except in vague terms. So, uh, really quickly, Ryan Gosling is super spy, super trained, killing machine, preternatural, you know, kind of uh, intensity and commitment and focus. Um, he is his name is Six, 
And uh, he goes out on a hit job on New Year's Eve in Bangkok. And then there's potentially going to be collateral damage. His boss says, who is uh, Reja Jean Page, that guy from okay. uh, Bridgerton. Yes, yes, from Bridgerton. And um, he says, go ahead and do it anyway. Ryan Gosling's like, I, I have a conscience. I'm not doing it. Something's fishy. And he realizes his target is actually this guy named Four, who is also part of the secret, you know, uh, agent service, which is called Sierra. So technically his name is Sierra Six, and he's going to kill this guy Four. Four has this medallion with a flash drive that has, basically that's the MacGuffin, right? The medallion with the flash drive, the draft flash drive has this encrypted um, intel on how Sierra has been compromised and been turned into basically like, um, you know, an amoral stealth hit squad uh, internationally, and they're committing all these, you know, crimes around the world. Uh, right. For this so basically, department. there's shades, shades of James Bond, shades of Jason, shades of Jason Bourne, shades of John Wick, shades of all this crap. Shades of Mission Impossible, shades of MacGyver. I mean, there's a MacGyver thing. But you know what? Gosling is charismatic. He's very droll. He's got some funny lines. He's very nonplussed. So he's a little bit of the Clint Eastwood vibe too. Chris Evans is basically hired as an outside agent. Um, who is also kind of, you know, very much uh, a good match against Ryan Gosling. And so it's basically the two of them together. And what's funny is the way that Chris Evans comes down on Gosling is so over-the-top hilarious and just bombastic. It's kind of fun to watch. There's this one scene in Prague where they're trying to get Ryan Gosling and he's handcuffed to a bench. And they're sending so many paramilitary units after him. And the paramilitary units are just mowing down all the police that are trying to get him. And Gosling, of course, gets away in some, you know, kind of Baroque, you know, flamboyant way. It's fun. It's a fun movie. It's dumb. If you think about it more than five minutes, it starts to fall apart. And of course, you've seen all of this stuff before. But is it done well? Yes. So not not a failure by any means. Certainly not original or a classic, but definitely uh, worth your time if you like this kind of movie. All right. The Gray Man, the most expensive Netflix movie since The Irishman, now now screening in two theaters and soon on every television in the world. Stephen, we will talk to you soon. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Stephen. The Gray Man is in selected theaters at the moment and soon will be on Netflix in perpetuity. Also, thanks to Paula Schaefer for stopping by to talk to me about the new season of What We Do in the Shadows. And thanks to me for staying on top of the movies and box office receipts. It takes a lot. It takes a big man to do that. And I am a big man. I'm the editor-in-chief of Book and Film Globe. I'm Neil Pollock. This is the Book and Film Globe podcast. You can find the site at www.bookandfilmglobe.com. We have articles about everything we talked about today and so much more. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you're having a great summer, and I will talk at you soon. And speaking of, you know, derivative movies that it's kind of riffing off of, it also has Anna Armas, who was just in the last James Bond movie, basically playing like a new agent who's kind of tagging along and, and uh, you know, helping James Bond. With this, it's kind of the same thing. She's not necessarily a new agent, but she is one who helps out Ryan Gosling and becomes persuaded to help Gosling 
figure out what the hell's going on. So, um, and it's great to watch her too. She gives a lot of great, you know, female energy, some good repartee between the two of them. She's a badass. She's gorgeous. It's great eye candy. That, that, that's you know, one way of um, of describing Ana de Armas in that she gives good female energy. I mean, that's putting <laughs> that, that's putting it mildly. <laughs> you know, it's like I didn't like Knives Out. I didn't think she was very good in it, but boy, did she give good female energy. And uh, you know, she yeah. was she was super charismatic uh, in, in the uh, James Bond movie. She's the only good thing about that. That... Well, I mean, she definitely leavens the kind of cock off that's happening between Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, it's well cast. Ray Jean Page, I mentioned, you know, Billy Bob Thornton plays this kind of father figure for Ryan Gosling. Alfred Woodard pops up. You know, it's it's like a big splashy movie with big movie stars in it, you know? But Anna de, you said Ana de Armas is in it. <laughs> yeah, uh, and, and her too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Also. Wipe your mouth. Stop drilling. <laughs> She's gorgeous. And she's a big, she's a tough chick, and she's great, and she's funny, she's smart, she's got great lines, great action scenes, you see her kicking ass a lot. Um, that's that's you know, a movie star. It's fun. That's a movie star. Yeah. Right there. Hey, she's absolutely. A, she's a movie star. All right, that is all. Audio Hopper.